Tonight we're going to be talking about, the title is The Gospel of Repentance. And so we're going to go through a couple of scriptures quite fast in the beginning and then we'll make our way from there. The first one is this, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. So it's about, oh, let's read from verse 1. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It says, for this it was he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So John the Baptist was famous for this statement. Repent, and we have this idea, and I think the Bible kind of lends to that. It's like this crazy guy, you know, out in the desert, wearing camel's hair, and he's like, his, his hair's all matted, and like, probably like crazy dreadlocks. He's eating locusts, and he's shouting out to the people, repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven, repent, repent, to making the way for Jesus. And we kind of like think it ends there, but it doesn't, because if we go on in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus is saying the same thing. He says this, he says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it wasn't just John, but it was Jesus too. But it wasn't just John and Jesus, it was the disciples too, the, the apostles. So if we go to Acts chapter 2, we don't have to go there, I know it's a lot of scripture, but I'll read it for you. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, here we see Peter. He says this, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 20, verse 18 to 21, Paul's giving an account of his missionary journeys, and he says this, and when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and in tears and with trials, and that happened through me to the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you, wait, oh, there we go, it's all the way down, I'll carry on, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, Luke chapter 24, verse 46 to 48, the commission that he, he commissions to his church, he says this, then he said to him, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Verse 47, Oh, no, verse 46, sorry. And he said to them, thus it is written, the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And this is just the New Testament. I mean, if we go to the Old Testament, it's just like, it's probably even more hardcore with this, this, these stories of the, the prophets standing outside these city walls saying, repent, repent of your sins, repent. And so, what I want us to see is that the gospel of repentance was preached from Old Testament to New Testament. It was the backbone of our faith. It's the backbone of who we are as Christians. And very quick definition of repentance is this. It comes from the word metanoia, and it means to think differently afterwards. Say it again, to think differently afterwards. So what it is, is to be confronted with truth, right? 
to measure truth up against my understanding and then to change my understanding according to truth. I'll say it again. So it's to think differently afterwards. After what? After confronting truth, after encountering truth. So let's say um, I'm okay with sex before marriage. You know, I'm freely do it. It's great. It's wonderful. I'm encountered with the truth of the gospel through Jesus Christ. And now my, my understanding, my thinking is challenged with truth. And now I've got to make a decision, and this is what repentance is, do I make a decision to repent or continue in my way? If I make a decision to repent, what I'm saying is, Lord, Father, I believe truth over what I believe now. And I take your truth and I displace my understanding, I displace my reality, and I, f- and I follow the, the, the course of my life. I make decisions in my life that now follow this new understanding. That's what repentance is. So that's what, that's what these guys are saying, Jesus and John the Baptist and, and Paul and, and all these guys, the Old Testament prophets. They're saying, change the way you view your life. You know, you're living in a certain way, especially in Jesus' times. Like the tax collectors were stealing from people. It's just the sins that we see today were the sins that they have there. And so John and them, they're confronting the people, say, change the way you view your life. Change the way you think about yourself. Is what you're doing okay? No. The kingdom of, ha- of God is at hand. In other words, there's a better way, there's a new system that God wants us to live in. And it's the truth that we find in the person of Jesus Christ. It's the truth that we find in freedom. And so I said this already, but I'll say it again. Repentance is the backbone of our faith. Yet many churches and many believers today view the message of repentance as too offensive and too controversial. And so often in the church, we find that we overcorrect. And so we had this phase where it was, I call them the eternal burn guys, you know. And so they had these big, like, placards, right, you know. You're going to hell. God hates you. You sinners, you know, repent. It's like these big things condemning people. And so the church saw that and they were like, wait, we can't do that anymore. And so what we do is we overcorrect. And so now we've overcorrect, and we always do this. It's like we overcorrect too much, and we go from one extreme to the next. And now we're like, no, 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 repentance is too offensive. Don't tell the people they have to repent. Don't tell them that they're in sin, because they're not going to come to our church anymore. You know? And so we've watered down the gospel. We've watered down our, our, our preaching to please people. To, to fill our seats, to, <laughs> to get, get our tithes in. But that's not, that's not what Jesus did, nor John the Baptist, nor Paul, nor Peter. You know, we've taken it so far, and if you guys have heard this one, that there's no hell. God is too good to send people to hell. That's the latest one. We've gone from hyper grace to hyper madness. <laughs> and it's all in this avoidance of you don't have to, you can live your life however you want to. It's fine. Just love Jesus. He loves you. It's all good. But it's not all good. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't say it. He wouldn't say there's a need for repentance. 
And so the church today would rather let people continue in sin than let them be offended by truth. I read again, the church today would rather let people continue in sin than let them be offended by truth. And so we know it's wrong, but it's okay. That's not what Jesus modeled. So we look at two encounters of Jesus. The first one is in John chapter 5, and we're going to see how he modeled this. You know, how did he confront this issue, but yet do so in love? So the first one is in John chapter 5, verse 2 to 14. Matthew, Mark, John 5, 2 to 14. It says this, Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gates, by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew what, that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going in, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up and take up your bed and walk. At once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in that place. In verse 14, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Listen to this. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Jesus didn't dance around. He didn't skirt around the issue. It actually says that Jesus found him. He didn't find Jesus. Jesus went to look for him to confront the issue. He healed him. The guy went to, thing, went to the, 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 the priest to, like, to ratify your healing. And then Jesus went and looked for him to bring him to a place of repentance. Saying, dude, you can't keep sinning because you're going to keep getting sick. You're going to keep, you, your, your situation is going to end up worse than it was. Let's see another one. John chapter 8, verse 1 to 11. See, Jesus, I love Jesus because he wasn't afraid that people would be offended by truth. I mean, John, like we skipped over now, but John chapter 6, right? It's like, I am the bread of life. Eat me, drink my blood, and eat my flesh, and you will have eternal life. And, and it says that people were offended at this. You know, and he didn't apologize. He, he, he brought truth. And it says, and it says like, like many left him. But he wasn't, it didn't sway him. It didn't move him away from bringing truth. And I think that's where the church has erred. It's like, well, if I say this, no one's going to want to come here anymore. I can't, I'm not going to gather the crowds, you know, and so we're missing the heart of God, and you know, when I talk about the church, I'm talking about the church as a large in general. Anyway, John chapter 8, verse 1 to 11, it says, they went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. 
And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now when the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women, so what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And again, and Jesus says, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on, sin no more. And we can read these scriptures and be like, Wait, I thought Jesus was the grace guy, remember? John chapter 1. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory as of the only Son, the Father, full of grace and truth. It says, From His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus demonstrates what real grace is. Grace is not turning a blind eye to sin. Grace is not saying, it's okay, do whatever you want, live however you want, just say that you love him and everything is going to be fine. This was the man of grace. I love it. Grace upon grace. You can't get any more graceful than that. He was grace epitomized in the flesh. But yet, in his grace, he confronted sin. In his grace, he preached the gospel of repentance. And so, like I said, we've moved, as a church, we move into this place called hyper-grace, where it's okay. Do what you want. But that's not what Jesus said. So grace is not turning a blind eye to sin. Grace is found in truth. Grace is displayed through the gift of repentance. That's what grace is. Grace is, the, is a free gift from God in which I can recognize my sin and turn from my ways and be empowered by Him to live a life that He calls me to. Titus 2.11 says this, says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Listen, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Grace is not an excuse to sin. Grace is an empowerment not to sin. And that's the grace that Jesus came to give. That's the grace that Jesus displayed. When he went to the woman, he said, sin no more. He was imparting grace to her, to sin no more. He doesn't just point the finger. He doesn't judge and say, oh, you're a sinner. Sort yourself out. He comes and he brings grace and he empowers that woman. He lifts her up and says, where are your accusers? There are no more. Sin no more. And from that day, she sins no more. That's grace. That's the, that's the real thing. And so I wrote this. As believers, we need to confront the issue of sin in our lives. We need to get over offense and get on board with God's program. I'm not trying to offend anybody here. 
God's not trying to offend you. He's trying to help us. That's what repentance is. It's a gift of empowerment. The gift, then the message of repentance is not about being religious. It's about being truthful. If we had to go out and tell people, repent of your sins, they would point the finger and say, oh, you guys are just religious, stuck-up Pharisees. <laughs> tell me where the Pharisees said repent. John tuned them. Oh, let me read it. It's so funny. Luke chapter 3, verse 7, right? John's addressing the Pharisees. He said, said, therefore, to the crowds that came to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So he tunes them. You know, the, 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 the message of repentance is not a religious message. It's not a pharisaical message. It's a message of grace. It's a message of truth. It's the message of Jesus. Another point is that the, the gospel of repentance is not legalism. It's life. In James chapter 5, verse 19 to 20, it says this. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering, listen to this, will save his soul from death and from a multitude of sins. Repentance is life. It's not controlling. It's not legalism. It's life. When we repent of our sins, Life comes. So we're going to look at a couple aspects of repentance. And the first one is this in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7 to 8. Oh, we were just there now. We should have stayed there. Matthew chapter 3, verse 7 to 8. Well, let's read, we read verse 7 already, but verse 8 says, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so repentance is not just saying sorry but then intentionally going out of our way to do the same thing again. There must be fruit of repentance. There must be change, right? Another definition of repentance is repentance is a change of mind which leads to a change of direction. We often talk about it, and I always get this wrong. 360 is the full, yeah, yeah, thank you. (laughs) Repentance is a 180 degree turn in the opposite direction. So I'm walking, I'm living a certain life, and I'm walking this way. I'm confronted with truth. I change my mind about it. And then corresponding action is applied to the change of my mind. So I don't change my mind and continue to walk in it. I change my mind, and I turn around, and I begin to walk in the opposite direction. So action follows repentance. You know, and so for some of us, this might mean a big lifestyle change. You know, it, it's no point, God, I, I did this thing and I'm sorry, and I did this thing and I'm sorry, but we don't make the necessary changes in our life to avoid those sins. And so like we, some of us might need to change where we live. Some of us might need to change our friends. Some of us might need to change the way where we get our entertainment, whatever, the things we watch on TV. But 
change will need to come in accompaniment with our repentance. You know, action must follow. There must be fruit of our repentance. So that's the first thing, is that action follows repentance. The next aspect of repentance we find is in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Now read it. It says this, Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. I read again, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance, that word forbearance means just delayed judgment, and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And so many believers think that, that God is okay with their sinful choices, and they, they kind of like pull a Gideon on this. So they'll do something, and then they'll wait for God's reaction. It's like, okay, if this is really wrong, God's going to show me a sign, like the tree's going to fall on my car, you know, then I'll know that this is the wrong thing. You know? And so we'll step out and we'll wait, and it's like, ah, he didn't say anything. He didn't do anything. I think he's okay with me sleeping with my girlfriend. Okay. So then I keep doing it, and I keep doing it, not knowing that he is patient. He's, the Bible says he delays judgment, that through his kindness, he's bringing us to a place of repentance. And so when we don't see an immediate judgment of God, you know, we think it's a green light to go ahead with it. But that's not what he's doing. You know, he's, he's, he, he's waiting for us. He's, he's, he begins to pursue us through his voice. He begins to pursue us with truth. I remember when I was, and I've heard, I think I've shared this story quite a few times, but this is another angle of it. When I was at Bible college, I was in a relationship with a girl, and I knew I wasn't supposed to be in it. And so, but like, I was like, I knew it was wrong, but I was like wrestling with God. I was like, Jacob, you know, Father, bless this thing. You know, and I was like, Father, make, I wanted him to say it's okay, but he never did, you know, and so we probably dated for like a year or something crazy, anyway. And so, it's like he pursued me with conviction. Sure. He pursued me to bring me to a place of repentance. It's like I would be like wherever, you know, someone can be talking about teaching on Noah, you know, the story of the ark, and I'm being convicted about this relationship. I'm like, what the heck? This hasn't got any, doesn't even apply to what's going on in my life. But when truth comes, it brings conviction. I remember being in worship. I mean, like, if you're in a place of pursuing God, it's, it's almost impossible to, 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 to avoid repentance. If you're pursuing God, you, He will bring you to stages of repentance. He will challenge you on issues in your life. So I'm at Bible college, you know, in a place of pursuing God. We have worship every morning. You're sitting under all these. That's the worst place to be in disobedience, <laughs> you know. So I'm busy in, like, worship, and, like, there He is, Lord. Lawyer, this is the wrong. Oh, I'm trying to worship, Lord. <laughs> you know, and, like, I would like push it off, push it off, and it would go away for a couple of days, and then it would come back, and he would just, he would just like, he wouldn't relent. Why? Because he's good. Because of his kindness, because of his goodness. He knows the result of disobedience. He knows the result of sin. And so God, in, in his free, graceful gift of repentance is not accusing us, but He's actually trying to rescue us. And so when He challenges you, 
when he challenges me, when he challenges us, he says, you need to repent of this. You need to walk away from this. He's not, trying to, he's not trying to hurt you. He's not trying to disqualify you. He's actually trying to save you. He's actually trying to walk you, get you to walk in more of His fullness, get you to walk in more of His life. I want to read a scripture for you, and just it, it reveals the severity of sin. So in James chapter 1, verse 13 to 15, it says this, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Listen to verse 15, it's so hectic. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. I can be married, not well, I am married, but I'm just, you know. <laughs> and I can be flirting with other women and uh, waiting for the green light, oh, he didn't crash my car, okay, it's okay. And so I flirt and I flirt and I play with sin. And if I keep doing that, guaranteed 100%, it'll bring death to my marriage. Sin will always bring death. I love that example. You might have heard it before. Sin is chocolate-covered vomit. Looks great on the inside. Pure death. It's like, no matter if it's the Easter bunny chocolate or the, you know can say there, like, what these guys called Oreo, whatever, you know, however the devil packages it, whatever form it takes on, there's always vomit inside. There's always death inside. And that's, that's, that's the thing that God's trying to do through repentance. Like, I don't want you to eat the vomit. Like, no, Lord, it's okay. I want to, let me just try. Oh, sorry, <laughs> Lord, I'll, I'll repent. <laughs> you know, and, and so often it's like, we, 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 we mess up and then we repent afterwards. The Bible says be quick to repent. So repent before you eat the vomit, not after you eat the vomit. You know, that's, that's what I see. He's, he's, he's pursuing us with conviction. You know, and just on that note, there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. And we have to discern the difference. Because when I'm in sin... What the enemy will seek to do is bring condemnation. See, conviction is from the Spirit. Condemnation is from the enemy. Conviction will lead me to the Father. Condemnation will lead me away from the Father. So if you, you're walking in sin, you know it's not right, and you've got this heaviness and this shame. And this, we saw it in Genesis chapter 3, right, with Adam and Eve. They, they hid themselves, for they were ashamed of God. They were hiding away from Him. And so if you've got that feeling of shame and, and hiding away from the Father, that's condemnation of the enemy. And you've got to shove that off. And you've got to turn to the... Turn, the best thing you can do when you're in disobedience is turn to truth. Let it challenge you. Don't... Because when, when I'm not turning to truth, I'm giving space, I'm giving a, a, a platform for, or to, for the enemy to speak into my life. I'm entertaining the enemy's lies when I'm, not when I'm not turning to truth. 
And so even in my sinful state, the best place, and God wants us to do this. He doesn't say, oh, no, Lloyd, no, 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 you, you didn't do that. You're not allowed to read the Bible anymore. <laughs> Repent, and then you read the Bible. That's not how he works. He says, okay, you did wrong. Come, let me show you something. Ooh, and then just, and it hits your heart. You're like, God, I'm so sorry. And so I don't know where you are, what path you're taking. But if you know you're, you're in disobedience, don't run away from this. Don't run away from him. He's not condemning you. He's not judging you. In his conviction, he's calling you to himself, saying, I love you. Come back to me. Repent. Do the works you did at first. Come back to your first love. And that's what repentance is. A repentance is a call back to the heart of the Father. Where we, we are lost in our ways is, repent, come back to me. It's, it's, it's a lifeline. It's a bridge back to the heart of the Father. And so I want you to see, repentance is not legalistic. It's not pharisaical. It's not religious. It's not judgmental. We've got this warped perception of, of repentance. That it's this harsh thing. But it's not. It's a beautiful gift from the Father. And it's not something that we need to avoid. It's something that we should embrace. It's something that we should run to every single day. Then the last aspect that we're going to look at tonight is in Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Again, Peter's he's preaching and he and he says this. Just gotta find it. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. And then in verse 20 he says this, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. It's interesting that word refreshing, if you look it up. Um, in the original, it actually means revival. Yeah. And so one of the powerful elements of repentance is that it brings me back to a place of revival. When I'm in sin, when I'm walking in disobedience, when I'm walking in my own way, you know, it's like I, I feel, and it's all lies, I feel separated from God. I feel unworthy I feel ashamed, I, I don't want to speak to him, I don't want to talk to him, I don't want to go to church, I don't want to sing the songs, I don't want to read my Bible, I don't want to do any of those things. And I can be in that state, but as soon as I accept and make that choice of repentance, it's like, like that, that with that girl, right? I finally did repent, praise the Lord. You know, and in that moment, in that place of repentance, it was just like, burden came off of my shoulders. And I was like, wow, I feel so alive when I should be feeling the opposite. And that's what repentance does. He, he breathes new life. He awakens the coals of, of, of our love for Him again. He awakens the, the, the spirit man inside of us. He revives us. He restores us back to Him. He restores us back to his heart. 
and I become one with him again. I hear his voice. I, I feel his presence again. And that's what repentance is. Repentance, I said, I said and I said again, repentance is a bridge back to the heart of the Father. I'm reminded of, not like those, someone's lost, or they're, they're swimming in the ocean, not swimming, but they're drowning in the ocean, right? And they're trying to swim. And a boat would come past, and they throw the, what's that thing called? The life, what? Life boy. That circle thing with the, the rope, right? That's what repentance is. You know, we, the, the devil sets up sin as glamorous, as sexy, as you know, nice, enjoyable, as free, you know, and so I go out and I pursue this thing and I end up drowning in an ocean. Because ultimately that's where I end up. In the beginning it's fun, but very soon it becomes my torment. And so here I am in my sin, drowning in the ocean, crying out for someone to save him. God's boat comes past and he throws out the life boy. And I hold on to that boy and he pulls me back into the boat. That's repentance. And so I'll leave you with that tonight. Don't believe the devil's lies about repentance. Don't believe what religion has made it up to be. Embrace repentance. I quoted it already, but the Bible says, be quick to repent. Because it's God's free gift of grace to bring you back into his fullness. Amen. And so whatever, I don't know what path you're walking tonight, I don't know what you're going through. But truth has come. And I encourage you, take on truth. Whatever it is, however big the situation is, maybe it is a relationship, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a habit, maybe it's a friend circle, whatever it is. Maybe it's a big decision, but God's calling you to a place of repentance, to bring wholeness to you, to bring freedom to you, to bring life to you. And as He, as he challenges you, don't run away. You know, you might think it's worth holding on to. When that girl, I thought, oh, what could be better than this, Lord? Everything. Now look at my life now. I look at my wife now. I look at my family. I look at where I am. Everything is better. But when in the moment you think, oh, how can I do it? But we have to trust Him. We have to believe that He wants the best for us. And His goodness, His kindness leads us to repentance. And so whatever it is, just, Father, I repent. I'm sorry. I've heard truth. I, I accept truth. I change the way I think about this thing. Now teach me, Lord. Give me the wisdom to make the corresponding decisions, the corresponding actions that I need to make in order to turn away from this, from whatever this thing is, and to walk in your freedom, and to never go back again, and to walk in the fullness of life. Amen. So, let's do it, guys. Let's let's take on repentance. Amen.